We'll be in Proverbs chapter 6, starting there again today. Proverbs chapter 6, and moving into chapter 7, as we continue along in our studies in Proverbs. If I were to ask you, what is the oldest profession in the world? You might be inclined to say prostitution. Uh, that's the way people use that phrase. What's the oldest profession in the world? That's technically incorrect, but it is based on a phrase in a Rudyard Kipling short story published in 1889 and has kind of worked its way into our cultural lingo over the last 120 years or so. So if you don't add any qualifying remarks to your question, people generally think you're referring to prostitution when you mention the oldest profession in the world. Actually, the oldest profession in the world is agriculture. God created the Garden of Eden. He placed Adam in it to dress it and keep it, the book of Genesis says, meaning to cultivate and oversee it. So the oldest profession existing even before man's fall into sin was agriculture. One business magazine describing Satan tempting Eve jokingly said that the oldest profession in the world was deceptive sales, uh, a deceptive salesman. Uh, saying, uh, Satan said to Eve, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. He was deceiving her. And they said there have been millions of deceptive salesmen ever since. But, but all joking around about it aside, sexual sin is very, very ancient. We have record of sexual sin in the book of Genesis. The earliest written records of life in the Middle East going back to 23-2400 B.C. mentioned prostitution as a part of the culture. Prostitutes and seductive adulterers have been around a long, long time. They appeal to the loneliness and lust and insecurities in the heart of man. And adrenaline and hormones are racing through our bloodstreams. And desires for intimacy are not, of course, inherently evil. Uh, sexual intimacy between married people is, is ordained by God and blessed by God. But as you know, the Bible condemns sexual activity outside of the marriage commitment. And of course, we are all corrupted by sin, so without moral restraint, we can easily be overwhelmed and drawn into sexual sin. And over the centuries, moral restraint has been supported by our legal systems and by the standards of society and religious teachings, but in our modern culture, sexual sin has become quite well accepted socially, and it's been generally condoned legally and even promoted by some in the religious world, so that the teachings of the Bible are the only sexual restraint left in our culture. And if those are ignored or rejected, then the door is wide open to every sort of sexual sin. You know, it's been the joy and the delight of the devil to take something that God created and blessed and then corrupt it and counterfeit it. The devil is a counterfeiter. He is a corrupter. He cannot create. Satan has no creative power. That belongs to our sovereign Lord alone. But Satan is an amazing and talented counterfeiter. He concocts fake, corrupted versions of God's creative designs. And he has, with great success, corrupted and counterfeited God's design for human sexuality. 
And as we move through these teaching lectures that Solomon spoke to his children in these early chapters of Proverbs, we come again to this topic. Talked about it a few weeks ago, back in chapter 4 and 5, as Solomon has spoken to his children about these things before. And now we see an entire chapter and a half devoted to the subject of sexual purity. It was obviously a huge issue 3,000 years ago, just as it is today. Uh, Solomon writing these things, speaking these things 3,000 years ago, challenging his children in this matter because of the existence of of a great deal of, of immorality, just as it is today. Solomon is very clear, he's right to the point, his intention for his children is to, is to learn to draw a line and not cross it in this matter. And by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who preserved this for us to read these, these teachings, uh, his intention is for us to learn to draw a line and to not cross it in this issue. Solomon deals with this topic starting in chapter 6 and verse 20. It goes all the way to the end of chapter 7. There's 43 verses in this section for the sake of time. We're not going to read the entire 43 verses. I trust you will do that during your Bible reading time. But we are going to look at several sections of of the Scripture as we see Solomon's wisdom in learning to draw the line regarding sexual purity. That's what we want to call what we're talking about today. How can we learn to draw the line? How can we teach our children and our grandchildren to learn to draw the line? And I'll give you four, four ways we can learn to do that. We're going to start to read in verse uh, chapter 6 and verse 20. We're going to read just a, a couple of verses there, and then we're going to look at a couple of verses in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. So first of all, Proverbs 6, verse 20, up to verse 23. My son... Keep your father's command. Do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart. Tie them around your neck. When you roam, they will lead you. When you sleep, they will keep you. When you awake, they will speak with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep you from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Then look at chapter 7, the first five verses. Similar thoughts as he repeats these things with his children again. My son, keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live and my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding your nearest kin that they may keep you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words. What is these four ways, I give them to you one at a time, four ways that we can learn to draw the line regarding sexual purity, four ways hopefully that we can teach our children and our grandchildren to, to draw the line. The first one is this, immerse yourself in God's word. Immerse yourself in God's Word. Notice Solomon's references to my commands, your mother's law. In chapter 7, he talks about my words, my commands, my law. Guard them like the pupil in your eye. That's what he means by, by the, the, the apple of your eyes. Talk about the pupil. It's just something we always, we always want to protect our eyes. He said, guard these things like the pupil in your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on your heart. What's he talking about? Solomon's talking about the Word of God. 
tying the word on his fingers and writing them deep in his heart, those are all references, they're all word pictures from the book of Deuteronomy as to what God said to do with his word. In other words, keep it before you all the time. It's like taking scriptures and wrapping it around your fingers. It doesn't literally mean that you wrap little verses around your fingers. It just mean, I mean everything, every place you go, everywhere you are, you see your hands. He says, so, so keep it in front of you. He talked about tying it around your head and putting it between your eyes so that, so that you always had the Word of God in front of you. Uh, you're writing it down deep in your heart. You know, of course, in Solomon's day, uh, and in fact, just until about 500 years ago, there weren't thousands of copies of the Scripture in circulation like there is today. And, and so huge portions of Scripture were memorized and then taught by parents to their children. If you had, I mean, almost nobody had one entire copy of the Scriptures. They maybe had a little bit, but they, had, but, but they never had one entire copy of the Scriptures. And so they would have little pieces of it, and they would spend their time memorizing large quantities of Scripture, because it may be many months before they actually had another piece of a copy of a Scripture in their home. And so they would memorize large portions of Scripture, and then they would teach those to their children. And so when Solomon talks about all these things, write it on your hands, you know, put it down deep in your heart, write it deep in your heart. He's saying, take the word of God and keep it close to you. Memorize it and learn it and live it. Take it with you everywhere. There's a great verse I want to show you in Psalm 119. You may be familiar with it. If you're not, you will be in just a moment. Psalm 119, verses 9, 10, and 11. If you have never highlighted these verses or underlined these verses or tried to memorize these verses, may I encourage you to do so. Psalm 119, verses 9, 10, and 11. There's a three-verse section, a wonderful passage of Scripture. Psalm 119, verse 9, How can a young man cleanse his way? And that's just a generic term. We could say, how can a young woman cleanse her way? How can a young man or woman cleanse their way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. And then verse 11, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Great passage of scripture. Learn it, memorize it, mark it down. He tells us your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so Solomon is saying that very same thing. Keep the word of God close to your heart. Hide it in your heart. Memorize it. Learn it. Be familiar with it. Remember the phrases. Put it there. Hide it in your heart to help keep us from sin. Jesus, when he was praying for his disciples in John 17, he said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So immersing ourselves in God's word sanctifies us. It gives us a different worldview. It changes our perspective. It creates in us a different value system that is distinct and separate from the world. It sets us apart from the world and it makes us usable in the kingdom of God. It gives us a desire to pursue holiness in our personal lives and it draws us toward the Lord. And in this matter of human sexuality, it guards us and it teaches us that true satisfaction and fulfillment comes within the context of marriage. We live in a world that wants us to believe the opposite. 
Our culture constantly bombards us with words and images and advertisements and movies and television and, and pictures, all sorts of things that, that, that sex outside of marriage is fun and freeing and fulfilling. It'll be easy to get sucked into that lie and to be overwhelmed by our culture's onslaught if we are not immersing ourselves in God's Word. Because the Word sanctifies us and helps us to keep our way pure. We're all familiar with that old computer programmer saying, garbage in, garbage out. My uncle, who was a computer programmer way back in the 60s, used to, used to tell me that all the time. He'd made a mistake on some, or if somebody made a mistake, uh, typing some code uh, for, for some computer program. Yeah, the, the whole thing would go haywire and it would, it would be crazy. And they would laughingly say, garbage in, garbage out. You type the wrong thing into the computer program and it makes the, it makes the computer do strange things. Well, that very same principle applies to the human heart. Purity in, purity out. Holiness in, holiness out. Scripture in, Scripture out. David wrote of the Scripture, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. That's Psalm 12, verse 6. And when we immerse our minds... In the flawless, purified words of God, the corrupting song of pop culture will hopefully sound more like a croak. And if we hope to be sexually pure in the middle of a sex-saturated culture, we have to replace worldly thinking with God's thoughts found in His Word. His ideas of right and wrong, His promises, His teachings have to saturate our souls. Regular, consistent exposure to God's Word is the only way to fight the enticing lies of our culture. So how often do we look at the Scripture? Does our Bible lie around our house all week until church time? I often wonder how long professing believers in Jesus can go without looking at the Scriptures before it begins to bother them. You see, regular, consistent exposure to God's Word is the only way to fight the enticing lies of our culture. The second way to learn to draw the line is to run from temptation. Run from temptation. And in this section, I want to read, I do want to read one portion of this uh, Scripture to you in verse of Proverbs chapter 7. We're going to start to read in verse 6. I'm going to read this whole little story up to verse 23. <clears throat> Proverbs 6, 7 and verse 6. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice. This is Solomon speaking. I saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths, a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner. And he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart, she was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. So she caught him and kissed him with an impudent or shameless face. She said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows, so I came out to meet you, diligently to seek your face, and I have found you. 
I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver as a bird hastens to the snare. He did not know it would cost his life. One evening Solomon looks out the window of the palace. There's an adulteress venturing out at dusk, wearing seductive clothing, intending to lure this young man to her bedroom. And this naive young man, not grounded in truth and wisdom, he walks down her street and he goes toward her house. And the seductress spots him and moves in, promising love and affection and romance. And notice what her strategies are. She's got several strategies. In verse 10, she is dressed to entice. In verse 13, she has a very bold approach. Since she's loud and rebellious, she's outside and she catches him and kisses him with a shameless face. She's dressed to entice. She's got a bold approach. She invites him over to her house in verses 16, 17, 18. She has an answer for all of his possible objections. You know, my husband's gone. He took a bunch of money with him. He won't be back for several days. She, she persuades him with these arousing words. And then she springs the trap. Well, how does she spring the trap? You know, it's very interesting. I didn't... Uh, uh, as I was reading and kind of studying through this passage this week in verse 14, when she says, I have peace offerings with me, today I have paid my vows. You know what she's saying to him? She, she's pretending to be religious. Peace offerings were, were taken down to the temple. There were several different kinds of offerings that were taken to the temple. And, and when you brought a peace offering, it would be a lamb or a, or a calf or something. Uh, they, were, they would kill the, the calf. They would sacrifice it. They would burn part of it on the altar. And the priests would eat, were allowed to eat a portion of it. And then the person who brought the peace offering would take that meat home. And they were commanded by God a portion of the meat that, that, they, that they would be given. And they would take that meat home. And they were supposed to eat it that day. They were supposed to eat it before morning. And so she tells him, I've got meat left over from my, from my peace offering at the temple. Hey, I can cook you a big steak. Yeah. She's been looking for it. I've prepared my bedroom, my bed, just for you. All kinds of perfumes and lotions and spices. My husband's not home. He's out of town. He took a bunch of money with it. He won't be back till a certain day. Come on with me. I'll cook you a big steak. We can make love all night. It'll be fun. No one will ever know. She springs the trap, and he falls for it. Solomon says he went as an ox to the slaughter. A fool to the stocks, stocks meaning chains and shackles, like a bird to the snare. You know, one of our church fellows here, uh, not here today, but uh, you, you would know if I said his name. He worked for a while at a slaughterhouse. And we looked at this passage one time in a men's Bible study a number of years ago. And he, uh, he said to me, you know, when I was working in the slaughterhouse, he said, wait, well, you're lining up just scores and scores of cattle. They're going to they're gonna butcher several hundred cattle in a day uh, to slaughter that is. Huge, big slaughterhouse. He said the cattle are restless. 
You start pushing him through the chute. You're kind of prodding and shoving to kind of get him to move through. But he said, you know, it's interesting. As soon as the first one is killed and the butchering process begins, he said, the line starts moving. And he said, all the prodding and pushing becomes unnecessary. And he said, the cattle almost, he said, they almost seem to be fighting to be next in line to get killed and butchered. He said, I always figured it was something about the smell of the blood in the entrails that kind of drew the cattle right in. You know, the more killing and gutting that went on, the faster the cattle moved. They almost run, almost just run to get butchered as things were going through the day. Solomon, of course, understood all that. And he said, this naive young man, he said, he was like an ox to the slaughter. He was just running to his death. The seductress drew him right in. When temptation comes, do like Joseph did, run Look at verse 25 and 26 here in chapter 7. He says, Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Immerse yourself in God's Word. Run from temptation. And then thirdly, remember the consequences. Verse 23, he says, He did not know it would cost his life. And back in chapter 6, verse 32, verse 32 and 33, whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. Wounds and dishonor he will get, and his reproach will not be wiped away. Wounds and dishonor and reproach and shame and possibly death would be headed our way when we fail to draw the line regarding sexual purity. Immerse yourself in God's Word, run from temptation, remember the consequences, and then the fourth principle, guard your heart. And I want to read again these verses at the end of chapter 7, 24, 25, 26, 27. Now therefore listen to me, my children, pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. We spoke at length a few weeks ago about guarding your heart when we were back in chapter 4. I ask you all to highlight or underline or memorize chapter 4 and verse 23. Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Here Solomon reminds his son again, do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. Her house is the way to hell. I am sure you remember when we talk about the heart, when the Bible speaks about the heart, it is not the center of our emotions. It is the center of our thinking. It is is the Bible word for the inner man. The mind, the will, the place where we reason and choose, our values, our priorities, our motivations, all flow from the inner man, from the heart. And if we're going to draw the line in the right place, we have to guard our hearts. We must be on guard for our hearts. I read this week of a transport company that placed an ad in a trucker's magazine that read, Wanted conscientious and experienced truck driver to transport TNT 
across narrow mountain gravel roads to mining sites. Pay is excellent. Three drivers interviewed for the job. At the end of the interview, the foreman, we went through a series of, you know, where have you lived, where you live, where have you driven, all these, lot all the things they ask in an interview. The last question the foreman said, each guy individual, the other guys weren't there. Each guy individual, he said, when you turn a corner, a tight corner, on a mountain gravel road, how close to the edge do you think you can drive without slipping off? Well, the first guy said, well, sir, I've had all sorts of years of experience driving these kind of roads. I, I can get as close as a foot to the edge and still stay on the road. I said, okay, wrote it down. Next guy comes in, he runs through his list of questions, all the things they ask, and then he comes to the end of the interview, he says, uh, I want to ask you, when, when you turn a corner on this, on this tight little mountain road, how close to the edge can you get without slipping off? The fellow said, I have been doing this for many, many years, sir, and he said, I am totally confident that I could actually even hang the outside edge of my tire over the edge, I could still stay on the road. I said, okay, thanks, and brought in the third guy, went through the whole interview, asked him the same thing. When you turn a corner, a tight corner, mountain road, gravel road corner, how close to the edge can you drive without slipping off? Third man said, well, sir, actually, I'm not sure. I respect the road and the danger, and I never want to get close enough to find out. Guess who got the job? <laughs> yeah, man number three, who respects the load and the danger. He don't want to get close enough to the edge to see how close he can get without sliding off. You know, sexual temptation is like, it's like TNT. It's, it, it's dangerous. Some people think they can play with it and they, and they can't get hurt. But if you see in chapter 6 and verse, uh, verse 27, can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So he who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her, shall not be innocent. Solomon says, hey, you, you play, I mean, we use the phrase all the time, you play with fire, you get burned. It's right out of this passage in Proverbs 6. He says, can, can, can you walk on hot coals and not burn your feet? See, some people think they can walk right up to the line and they'll have the willpower to not cross over. Some people think they can handle this explosive, but like the man in Solomon's teaching, they lack truth and wisdom. You know, there are some things that we cannot handle, and godly wisdom tells us where the line is. There are certain films, certain videos, certain magazines that we need to avoid. There are certain television shows and, and, and channels that we have no business watching. There are certain websites we should avoid. There are certain people who actually weaken us by the way they talk and what they talk about. There are certain clothes, certain clothing styles that should not be worn. There are certain settings that are too tempting. And we're and we foolish to play around with them. They create appealing temptations that we are not even designed to be able to control. You may say, well, okay, Pastor, but, you know, we, we can't live in a cave. You can't totally hide from the world. That is very true. You can't totally hide from the world. And we live in a sex-saturated society. It's all over the place. But as an old-time theologian said several hundred years ago, you can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. 
Very true. You can't hide from the world. You can't shut out every influence of everything. You can't keep the birds from flying over your head. But you can draw a line. And you can keep them from building a nest in your head. <clears throat> so how? Immerse yourself in God's Word. Run from temptation. Remember the consequences. And guard your heart. Then we will know exactly where to draw the line on sexual purity. Let's pray. Lord, such a challenging thought. We do live in an incredibly sex-saturated society. Every place we go, everywhere we go, we are just bombarded with images and uh, sights and sounds and and the people and places and clothing styles and it's just uh, it's just an incredible temptation for for all of us certainly our young people but for all of us lord help us to learn to draw a line help us to turn and look the other way help us to change the channel help us to get rid of those kinds of images that we have voluntarily exposed ourselves to May we draw the line in, in a place that would be pleasing to you. And Lord, in this culture that has so accepted uh, in so many bizarre ways every imaginable kind of immorality that you can think of, help us as followers of Jesus to draw the line and stand firmly and to fight the battle to keep our hearts and minds pure before you. Lord, we pray for our young people. We pray for our, our students in school, our, our high school students, our college students. Uh, such incredible pressure these days that they have to endure uh, to try to maintain purity in their, in their sexuality. And Lord, I just pray that, uh, that we might be an encouragement to them, help them uh, to, uh, to immerse themselves in the Scripture and to learn to run from temptation. And to learn to stand firmly and say no. And Lord, may all of us, as we walk before you in these days, keep our hearts and minds pure. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.